This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shawik. It is our Friday afternoon show, Doctor in the House, with my co-host, Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist, clocking in for duty. Yes, <laughs> Your first, first day show oh, well, of the year. Yeah, first uh, show of the year. That's right. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. I think it's going to be an exciting year, right? Okay. A lot of it's people. It's never a dull day in healthcare, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <I think. laughs> yeah. Well, therefore, today's topic is not a dull topic either. So first topic of the uh, Doctor in the House series. So yes. let's and talk about it. We want to ask our listeners, do you or should you buy medical devices on e-commerce platforms? Mm-hmm. Uh, so have a think about that and uh, you know share your thoughts with us. I mean, medical devices generally are huge in healthcare now. They're really ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very, very... Um, Expensive, but also very precise instruments, very, very crucial in delivering um, healthcare. Uh, and of course, um, patient safety is of huge concern uh, when it comes to medical devices because even the slightest errors can result in serious consequences. Mm-hmm. And uh, what does this have to do with e commerce platforms? Well, you do even find um, hospital grade medical devices. Uh, as well as uh, consumer-grade ones being sold on uh, a lot of the e-commerce, uh, the common e-commerce platforms that we use. Um, uh, I don't necessarily need to name the platforms, but all of you know what you're shopping on. Yes. Uh, and uh, I guess questions of safety, authenticity of these devices, mm-hmm. do you really need them? Should you be adding them to cart and checking them out? Are the questions we want you to think about, and we will be discussing with our guests today, Eric Wu, Regional Director of ACRI Asia Pacific. So call us with your thoughts or your questions 03-7733-2900. WhatsApp our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, happy New Year. Thank How are you? Happy, happy New Year, everyone. And um, so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So uh, a quick intro to who ACRI is as an organisation. What is the work that you do? Sure. Um, ACRI is a non-for-profit uh, organization. We were founded about 50-odd years ago in mm-hmm. the United States. Our main um, mission and, and vision, uh, mission basically, to really ensure that we tell the truth uh, about um, the use of medical technologies and to look at every processes that we use in the healthcare environment, mm-hmm. um, using evidence to sort of uh, quantify or qualify uh, certain uh, findings that we have mm-hmm. and share with the healthcare community. The whole idea of doing this research and, and sharing was to ensure that the community has more information for the community to make more informed decisions. And the idea of making good informed decisions was to really um, protect ourselves we one day will be a patient ourselves. And at the end of the day, we want to make sure that patient safety has been part of the main goal that they have. So ACRI, as an organization, a non-for-profit, we're a research uh, organizations that also provide a lot of uh, information and sharing and helping healthcare communities to be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's essentially so what it is. Essentially, you um, scrutinize the uh, robustness of scientific data for um, medical devices or medicine or practices? Primarily, right now, uh, we focus a lot on medical devices, especially the Asia Pacific uh, team that mm-hmm. we have, our American team. 
um, for Europe, like for example, um, EU has commissioned us to actually look at the new drugs that are mm-hmm. coming. Um, but we don't do much of those uh, here in Asia Pacific yet mm-hmm. in terms of medicine, but we're looking more on the medical device perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who are your clients and who funds you? So as a non-for-profit, um, we don't get funding. Uh, we're also a private non-for-profit, so we don't get funding from any government in the world. That includes our United States head office as well. So we self-sustain and self-fund ourselves um, by share, uh, by having generate revenues or business through some of the published uh, reports that we, we churn out. Mm. So with all the evidence that we churn out, just like in Elzevier, uh, um membership that you buy on or mm-hmm. a BMJ membership that you buy on. So with those revenue, we continue to use that to research on our um, technologies that we mm-hmm. have every day. Are your audience mainly consumers or the healthcare providers? So for now, um, we have been focusing on the healthcare providers, the um, authorities uh, in place, and those people who have direct impact in the most mainstream care setting that we have today itself. Uh, but having said that, consumers are, and I always say this, we need to really have our hands in touching into um, patients and consumers itself mm-hmm. so that people have more awareness of what is good and bad about mm-hmm. things. So who better person to talk to about this topic today? Yeah, right? and I think our topic today can uh, really explore where uh, where you see that uh, area of medical technologies overlapping with uh, consumer usage, direct consumer use, mm-hmm. and what People need to know about uh, being safe when it comes to these things. But maybe big picture when it comes to medical devices and issues of patient safety. Uh, what is the landscape there? What are the concerns when it comes to patient safety? So patient safety is a culture that we have been trying very hard to, together with all the uh, healthcare community, instill into the provider's practice. And uh, um, and every health hospital that you go, they are talking about the same. In terms of patients and consumer, the awareness of patient safety is still uh, at a very infant stage. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more need to be done so that consumers or patients themselves or family members have more awareness about what are the safety concerns. You know, that doesn't mean that we we you know we we say that the healthcare providers are no good or anything, but it's just more of that awareness that we need to. Particularly when you talk about medical device, um, the whys of the medical device, the hows and and the essence of the medical device and how it's been used. Mm-hmm. Those are things that people do not know today. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, so I think there's still a lot to do. Uh, but from the provider's perspective or the healthcare community, um, the culture of that is now um, growing. Uh, and a lot of the uh, healthcare community are looking at patient safety as one of their main goal mm-hmm. in everything that they do in the hospital itself. But have you found that patient safety problems are a big, I should say, are patient safety concerns a big problem when mm-hmm. it comes to the use of devices? Yes, it is. And, um, you know, overall patient safety, the last count, I think the global patient safety impact um, and the cost of patient safety was about four billion US dollars, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and the impact in in patient safety, especially to device, are oftentimes related to number one, the understanding of the device and the use. 
Number two, the type of device that is available, the options that are available for you. And either you're a um, healthcare provider or a patient, what are the options that are available? And in today's world, we just we just see what's available and we don't even know what the comparators are and mm-hmm. the true output are. Nobody's doing enough research to share actually this device versus the others, what's the diff? Yeah. I mean, but there's hardly any information like that anyway, right? I mean, if, let's say, for example, um, I get patients coming to see me with this new technology for prostate, um, you know, removal. They call it, I don't know, whatever, steam or laser and uh, no procedures. And then suddenly, I don't know much about it because it's all very new in the horizon. When you look at all the data, it's all very biased, small yeah, what number. what you know comes from manufacturers. Uh, and precisely. also a very small study. Precisely. And presumably, Presumably, you won't have too much access to the real data as well. Correct. And the real data will only be um, visible after a period of time because when you look at 20 patients over a six-month period, it's completely meaningless. Mm. So how do you scrutinize it for the benefit of the healthcare provider and also for the consumer? So... The, the way science works, and I believe everybody understands, and when we look at the evidence in science, it's always a bad news for quick and fast because you need time to develop those evidence. Mm-hmm. So what we do in terms of horizon scanning or technology assessment, we call it HTA, um, we scrutinize, uh, we do secondary reviews where we scrutinize the evidence of the technology itself, the principal evidence of the technology itself. At times, those are lack of um, information. Mm-hmm. We can't find publications that are directly related to those. So those are the part where we say that there will be insufficient evidence to justify the technology. Yeah. But people oftentimes come to me and say, Eric, but you are stifling all the innovation and development. To a certain extent, I don't deny mm-hmm. because, you know, we're not making it like, I mean, we're not endorsing it and say, let's do this. This are new and nice, you know, like, um, but the thing is, um, we just don't have enough evidence, particularly whether it's going to be, um, um, the efficacy is going to be good for the patient. Uh, we just don't have enough evidence about the risk of the technology. So we're going in blind. So unless you're doing this as a research or a clinical trial, mm-hmm. um, then it may be challenging to really just go in and say, I'm going to use this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that was perhaps within the context of medical devices being used uh, in a healthcare setting. Mm-hmm. But is there a trend of medical devices being used at home? What are you seeing? It's going to be even more. And mm-hmm. uh, yes, that's a big trend. And um, some pe- some organization who does research are saying that it's going to be a multi-billion business in the future. Um, especially when the hype of telemedicine was brought onto the table during COVID and people kept saying that, wow, telemedicine was so fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's going to, you know, revolutionize how we offer care to our patients and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So you're seeing more medical tech are going to be bought in-house and patients are going to be cared uh, um, within their own comfortable environment at home. Mm-hmm. And more monitoring diagnostic, uh, basic diagnostic equipments are going to be available at home. Question is, what do you need 
and do you know how to use it at home? Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you have a certain readings and findings, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Are you well or are you not well? Mm-hmm. You know. So um, some people say I can I can find information through Google or I can you know now Chat GPT. Or I could actually just watch YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. So yes, you can, mm-hmm. but you're still not a clinician. If you can do that, then why would we need a clinician, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> indeed. I mean, we are making the distinction, of course, between let's say a patient needing dialysis who mm. is prescribed like a um, peritoneal dialysis machine to use mm. at home. We presume that's under medical supervision, mm-hmm. and um, you are taught what to do. And the difference with compared to somebody who um, really is um, deciding to purchase something uh, on their own accord uh, without the kind of uh, training and guidance mm. that uh, mm-hmm. yeah. should be. So good point, uh, Shari. And I think the... Um, so there's two of those uh, home care work that is happening. Mm-hmm. One are the more traditional ones such as dialysis, uh, long-term care monitoring at home, um, uh, yeah, basically those are those key. And then physiotherapy works that you can do at home as well mm-hmm. with some of those things that you have um, versus some of the more innovative or more creative one today where you wear variables like my Apple Watch and, and whatever watch that you mm-hmm. have, Fitbits and all. And then you have your monitors who monitor your oxygen saturation. And, and then now you have CPAPs that people use at home. We have CPAPs that we dispense out to the, the patient and go home too. Mm-hmm. And those are the people where I think there is already a very established program that the hospital or the healthcare community has shared, shared with the patient mm-hmm. and all their caregivers. So they actually understand how to do it. Mm-hmm. right? And yeah. for PD, for example, peritoneal dialysis, uh, one of the main concerns was infection. That's all the key. As long as yeah. we are able to teach and share how that is done, uh, the caregiver can actually make a good Um, uh, uh, care for their own family members at home. Mm -hmm. So there are new things that are coming that are not this traditional stuff. Mm -hmm. So one thing at a time, um, if those are the new care that we want to do at home, uh, I guess we need more of those training programs. I'm sure I'm on the line of CPAP. Perhaps I would like to just kind of like uh, later on highlight a scenario Mm -hmm. and then we'll kind of uh, dissect what are the loopholes that led to patients going by online. Mm -hmm. So I think that will be a good uh, example of how this whole thing and we'll look at the ecosystem and what are the void or deficiency in the Mm -hmm. area that leads to such purchases. Yeah, we'll come back to that on the other side of the break. Today, uh, my co-host, Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist in the studio with me and we're speaking to Eric Wu, Regional Director of ACRI Asia Pacific, about using or purchasing medical devices on e-commerce platforms as a consumer. What do you need to know about that? Call us uh, with your questions or your thoughts, 0377332900 or WhatsApp our U-Mobile number, 018789 I mean, we'd be really interested to know, um, you know, out there uh, who um, is purchasing uh, these medical devices, what kind of devices are you looking at online? And we definitely do, welcome your calls. Yeah, do share with us. Uh, and we will be right back to continue with George's point on Health and Living, BFM 89.9.
Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shawik, and my co-host for the Doctor in the House segment today, Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist. Also joining us in the studio, Eric Wu, Regional Director of Acre Asia Pacific. And we are discussing what consumers need to know about buying medical devices on e-commerce platforms. Basically, while you are purchasing your vacuum cleaner, should you also be checking out an your CPAP oxygen, machine? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Or an oxygen concentrator. Right, And I, I bring up that example because I think that really exploded during the pandemic mm. where people were so concerned about the lack of uh, or rather, um, you know, hospitals sort of uh, not being able to cope with the deluge of patients and uh, not having enough oxygen tanks and people trying to purchase oxygen concentrators and for their own And it's scary homes. to look at the uh, spectrum of the prices that can range from 500 to about 50,000 ringgit and which one one of them are genuine and which one of them are harmful to you. All it of is them all have them. the word genuine. That's I'm sure, right. You know? yes. so how do you really Certified tell? Certified genuine, yes. right? So right. you wanted to share. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, Eric, I'll give you a scenario, right? You know, um, probably about a couple of years ago, my uncle called me up and said, went to see the GP and was diagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea, mm. which is giving him a lot of problems of like, tiredness and that sort of thing. And I guess those sort of things are quite easily made by GP, the diagnosis, and then was um, um, asked to perhaps get a CPAP machine. Problem number one is that when you're asked to do that, there's no shop that you go to to buy a medical device, right? So the immediate thing that you probably do is to Google uh, where you can get a CPAP machine. So the second thing is that if you do find a device that is linked to a hospital or uh, um, or some sort of healthcare provider, you know that the price is extortionally expensive. That's a second issue that, uh, that my uncle face. Third thing is that, of course, next to the line of hospital uh, affiliated supply of this, it's all these kind of like, uh, you know, consumers uh, access to all these platform. And then you can see that you can have easy access to these uh, provided by, you know, different countries and you can get it shipped in from China and so on and so forth. When the device arrived, obviously it's all Chinese in Chinese instruction, plus also a very genuine looking Chinese certified stamp. And then when this landed on my desk and said, hey, you know, you're, you're my nephew. Can you have a look at it? And can you tell me whether this is a genuine product and will this do me any harm? And obviously that is a scenario where we have loophole. Number one is that there's no real outlets for consumers to purchase that, then they, you know, people hand, uh, uh, tend to go for uh, these kind of like uh, shopping platforms. Number two is that they are expensive whenever it's purchased from healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. so we all know that there's a significant markups in the uh, healthcare providers, um, you know, supply of these. And number three, when there's no border, mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to purchasing all these supplies, who actually is controlling this and who's policing this and how do we know that you know the scrutiny of these so um you're absolutely right and and that scenario still exists today to the very minute that we're speaking right now you know um the in malaysia we have medical device authority and they are an agency under the ministry of health they are the ones who have the um um uh, power to regulate and to assess any medical device that are being brought into Malaysia. And before you can do marketing or sales mm -hmm. in Malaysia, that particular piece of medical device should be registered uh, with them. 
During the registration process, the authorities or the regulators oftentimes will scrutinize their submissions, which includes the um, intent of use, uh, the research behind the technology, uh, the proof of efficacy of the device and stuff like that. Right. So plus including, of course, their manufacturing capabilities and how do they control their manufacturing and stuff like that. So medical device authority are our policemen. They are our gatekeepers. They, they ensure that devices that come into Malaysia actually goes through them and and certain level of um, um, assurance can be achieved because the regulators has already been scrutinized or the regulators have actually scrutinized those submissions or those devices. But having said that, the the online platform is where things fly through and um, we have the law and act in Malaysia already right now. Um, I believe it's just about um, enforcing it more onto that platform too. Mm. So, so <laughs> right now mm. we're very focused on those importers themselves in mm-hmm. Malaysia. Mm. Yeah. Does the legal framework cover um, online sales, online retail? The act does. The act does. Mm. So, is it a case of, you know, it's hard to track down where these are coming from and therefore to enforce it? That's the, that's the challenge, I believe. It's uh, being faced by a lot of the regulators today. Mm. Um, I work very closely with the regulators team in Malaysia, and uh, uh, it is a challenge. Yeah. And so in the scenario I pointed out, if somebody comes to an harm, let's say my uncle basically uh, had some sort of like a you know, pulmonary injury as a result of high pressure from CPAP, who's accountable? So this is the biggest challenge. Um, my advice um, is that when anyone who wants, for example, using a respiratory device uh, for sleep apnea purpose and, and, and for basic stuff, make sure you are tied or you're doing this sort of treatment or this uh, program together with a physician. And have the physician, even with the CPAP itself, you just don't buy. The fitting of the mask is the most important section of any of the CPAP. If the mask doesn't fit well, and that has to be done with the manufacturer. They have a proper way to fit every patient because all our face are different in sizes, uh, different in terms of shapes. So you need a proper fitting mask. And if you don't have a proper fitting mask, the CPAP defeats its purpose. You just don't get to achieve what you need to achieve as a treatment. Mm-hmm. So never try to do this on your own. Mm-hmm. Work together with your physician and get proper way of handling this. Now, if there is a barotrauma happen because of too much of pressure and uh, um, patient is harmed, well, you can't go claim the company because you don't even know where they are mm-hmm. and um, not even sure if they're registered for business in Malaysia for that matter mm-hmm. and um, not even sure if their product has been uh, regulated uh, in Malaysia itself. Um, to your point, you get all this Chinese certification and all. Chinese has a CE mark, you know. Mm-hmm. It looks exactly like the European <laughs> CE mark. But it's called China Export Certification. Right. So that's why it's CE. So um, China has also a very strong regulator as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but to what extent everything has been got passed through um, the regulator is somewhat questionable. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Mm. What is uh, the CE mark that you mentioned? Can we explain that a little bit? So, so there is two. The original CE mark is the uh, European uh, Community Mark, where they, the European Commission has um, sanctioned or there's a standard where devices are actually um, in compliance to some of the standard health safety standards that is required there. Um, but the CE mark that you see on some of the device that most of the device that comes out from China, for example, it's called a Chinese export mark. So there's a certain standards that they have there that qualifies their product to be exported out of China. Um, but we we have no visibility as to the details of how it is compared to the European standards that we talk about. Mm. So, but they look exactly the same. So that's kind of ambiguous sometimes yes. when you look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coming back to the whole idea of why people resort to online purchasing, the whole idea of the supply awareness or um, outlets probably is a bit deficient when it comes to uh, medical supplies. How do we solve that problem? And also, any regulators could control the prices. Perhaps that is the reason why people resort to online purchases because it just looks so tempting when it's a lot, lot cheaper. I agree. And and, and I, I think having a shop in town just to sell medical device could be challenging because I don't know if it's going to be a business model that people want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but online seems to be a good uh, platform. And, and But the only challenge with online is that um, not everybody is regulated. Yeah. So if we could do a strong regulation or enforce our regulation onto the online platform for medical device, um, that could really help. And at the same time, a couple of years ago, I, I approached some of the online platform and I said to them, you have like in your, in your platform, there's like a hundred same kind of device being sold. Do you want me to research and show you the comparators uh, as to what are the evidence that is available for the efficacy of those devices online? And then you can publish this to your um, consumers in your online platform. Mm -hmm. And when they're doing selection, there is at least a more evidential information. It can be good, it can be bad. But leave that decision for the consumers to, to do. And at least there are information that, that people could relate to and reference on. So I hope some of all this can be done and, and that will make it a safer platform for mm-hmm. medical devices being purchased. So you believe that the online uh, platforms actually have the responsibility and uh, in order to at least... Uh, protect their uh, consumers who use their platforms? I, I, I really think so. For example, during COVID, when masks were such a uh, scarcity in the world, there were papers that were being sold in, yes, in we remember that. online. Mm-hmm. And, and those were horrible. We actually tested uh, many international masks that was produced in Asia, uh, some even in uh, South America, comparative so to... So they're the, as good as toilet papers correct, that is being hung around your correct. face. Correct. Right? You're wearing toilet paper, sorry, toilet papers. So you're not getting the protection that you're supposed to get. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's not talk about N95. I'm talking about just the regular surgical mask, for example. Mm-hmm. So some of them are just not doing the job. It just looks like it, feels like it, but it's not doing the job. And that was that was obviously killing people who <laughs> falsely believe that they're being protected. Agreed. So yes. under those circumstances, what happened? Nobody was held accountable. That's true. So so we need to see if we can have more. And, and to, to that point, I said, 
online platform will be a very good shop for accessibility and and also for the opportunity for various kind of um, good devices to be offered at a lower price compared to a healthcare uh, provider selling it. Mm. Um, but I, I, I really think we need to regulate it a little bit better. And, and, and even though the regulation is there, I think now we've got to enforce it a little bit um, more um, stronger. Yeah. Mm. And to that point, a listener is sharing with so many online sellers, local medical authorities don't even have a presence on social media. I presume you're referring to the fact that um, are they able or are they actually currently looking at everything that's being sold uh, in order to crack down on what's um, not legitimate, not genuine, and mm-hmm. perhaps, frankly, unsafe. I want to explore that topic of how dangerous it is to consumers. Uh, mm-hmm. when and, and I think here's where the buyer beware attitude uh, really needs to be strengthened. Uh, and we need to educate people not to think what, um, you know what? What could be the danger? What what could be the the, the harm? Mm-hmm. Because clearly, as we're hearing, there are a lot of harms. So we'll continue the conversation with that point when we come back from the break. Uh, my co-host, Dr. George Lee, in the studio together with Eric Wu, Regional Director of Acre Asia Pacific. Keep your thoughts coming in zero three double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp our U mobile number zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine or tweet us at BFM Radio to tell us what you think about the easy availability of medical devices on shopping and e-commerce platforms. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Here's a quick update from Bursa Malaysia. The FBM KLCI is up 0.6% at 1,486 points. Active stocks are Hong Seng Consolidated, Mindtech Resources, Sapura Energy, Luster Industries and Sarawak Cable. Top gainers include Malaysian Pacific Industries, Heineken, Ideal Capital, Panasonic Manufacturing and YTL Power. Decliners are led by Rapid Synergy, Nestle, YNH Property, PPP Group and Petronas Gas. We'll have more in our next news update at the top of the hour. And coming back to our discussion on health and living today on our Doctor in the House segment, my co-host, Dr. George Lee, and we are speaking to Eric Wu, Regional Director of Acre Asia Pacific. Send us um, or share with us your thoughts about buying medical devices on e-commerce platforms. That's exactly what we're discussing today. The number to call is 03-7733-2900. You can also WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. Um, Eric, we've spent a bit of time already elucidating some risks that consumers could face when they are purchasing uh, what could be inappropriate or perhaps even fake products like uh, I think the CPAP was the uh, example we heard from George earlier. So things like the fitting of the mask is so important. And I think um, this is where consumers need to be educated that these are by no means trivial issues um, to think about when you uh, have been told um, whether by a medical professional or by perhaps well-meaning friends that you, quote-unquote, need this device. And I was just um, 
trying out. I was looking on um, a lot of our common um, e-commerce platforms and just typing in random things to see what you can buy online. Mm-hmm. You can buy a lot of things. You can, buy, <laughs> you can buy nebulizers, you can uh-huh. buy oxygen concentrators, you can buy TENS devices, the, the transcutaneous electrical mm-hmm. nerve stimulation. I think that's used for like pain, pain management pain um, for migraines. You can buy hearing aids. Mm-hmm. You can buy laser devices. And I'm sure I haven't even covered um, the whole breadth of things, right? Um, talk to us, Eric, I think, uh, and George, if you want to chime in. Um, what are the things, um, some visible and perhaps less visible dangers of uh, using these devices? Yeah, so very good points uh, that you brought up. So the, those devices are already available. And here are some of the key things I think um, people should take note. Number mm-hmm. one, um, you've got to know what you're buying and what it's intended for. And if you don't understand the device itself, the intention of the device, um, you're going to be in trouble trying to use it on your on your own. Um, many cases uh, that was reported because uh, issues um, on user knowledge in using those devices. Sometimes caregivers at home, like your family members, um, the environment that you are in at home when you're using certain devices itself. Um, those all have a direct impact to the safety output of your treatment or your monitoring that you are doing at home. Um, at times when for the more advanced ones, like I was mentioning earlier, uh, while people are trying to go towards this new home hospital at home concept, and uh, while I was in Singapore working on those work that I do, um, people are also talking about, you know, in the future, we want more hospital at home because we're going to save more money for the healthcare community, uh, lower down the cost, free the beds, uh, have more patients uh, coming in so that we can treat them and all that. So let's monitor the patients at home. So there are good things about doing that and achieving those objectives that they want. But all this new approach will bring you um, new foes. Mm. So the question is, do you know your foes? Do you know what the risks are? For example, if I'm monitoring a patient at home, relatively stable, uh, elderly patient with heart condition, for example, and then we got to be monitoring the patient for a couple more months. We're discharging him early from the hospital, so we save the bed a bit more. And then we can send a monitor at home and monitor him for a couple of months. So that monitoring requires the data to be transferred to the hospital so that proper physician can take a look. Mm. What happens if those trans- that, that transmission has been interrupted? Mm. And those equipment comes with alarms. So if there's an alarm and those alarms were not transmitted and happened, so happened the caregiver is not home. So those scenarios need more thinking. So the idea of hospital at home or care to be done at home or home care, whichever people would like to call it, um, needs a lot of thinking. There, is a, there are multiple components of um, the people factor, um, the technological, uh, technological factor to be considered, and mm-hmm. also the process. So what sort of process should the home care have in order to ensure that this patient is getting, if not 100%, 80-90% of what you're getting in the hospital. Mm. So safety concern is a big issue when we're using medical device at home and trying to care for ourselves at mm. home. Mm. And it's presumably in a setting where it's prescribed and used under guidance, right? Where perhaps some fail-safe procedures are in place. Again, we come back to people just buying things on their own mm. on platforms and there's none of uh, mm. those, those safeguards. That's very true. And I cite you an example of a case 
case um, during COVID as well, some some friends of mine were telling me uh, I am very afraid, so I got to make sure that I monitor my oxygen saturation on my body all the time, so that you know I keep on breathing and I don't have a problem. Um, so people buy this what we call the SpO2 sensors, where it's a small little thing that you clip on your finger, you get to see your oxygen saturation. Um, there was a case of a video that I received from uh, one of our counterpart in, in from another country, it was showing me that some of the device they bought online so that they can measure their oxygen saturation actually was also measuring the saturation of the oxygen of a pencil. So he clips it on his finger, it works, it shows on some numbers, and then when he clips it on the pencil, it still works too. So almost like, you know, so a pencil is alive. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one of it. And, and the other thing of, uh, about buying things on your own and you're using at home, what, when, what, what, what does it mean if your oxygen saturation is down to 92% or 90%? What does that mean to you? Because by time the actual physical um, appearance of you, and if you get down to 90% or lower, you're like struggling to survive. Mm-hmm. And you need to be in the hospital. So having those devices, um, whether it's really helpful or useful or not, is really up to how... Um, people think about using those devices. Mm. I mean, we we laugh about this in a second, Mm. clearly that the machine is not doing anything and we laugh about it as if like, you know, it is not really harmful. Like you said, you know, if your saturation is dropping to 85 and then your monitor tells you that it's still 92, then you are missing those crucial hours before you get to the hospital. Mm. I mean, coming back to this whole... um, idea of many people would assume that if it doesn't come to if it's not a harmful device what's the worst case scenario that you just lose some money but that's not true imagine that we're talking about a nebulizer if you're expecting this trusted device of a nebulizer to save your life when you get asthmatic attack and that nebulizer is not delivering anything that non-delivery is killing you rather than if it's not delivering it's a bit of a giggle that it is you know worst thing that can happen you lose a couple of thousand ringgit mm, yeah uh, a listener is sharing uh, I see parents buying uh, something called the Pavlik harness for um, children. I think this is for um, correction of the developmental dysplasia of the hip. And our listener says, I get anxiety about thinking about whether this is regulated and the parents are buying these from normal shopping apps. And again, you can see where um, you may think this is something non-invasive perhaps, but uh, then you are... Um, sort of detouring the patient away from um, proper uh, procedures, you know. Um, this listener also wants to ask about pharmaceutical products mm. being sold online. I'm Good not sure. Point. Yeah, yeah um, you know, um, if you are purchasing pharmaceutical products and medicines online, we can't see how these uh, medicines have been stored. Some of them have to be stored in a certain way so, just, so, so that they're not exposed to light and heat. But we don't know how the sellers are actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts, Eric? That's very true. And, and this is where, if you're going to have to buy online because you're trying to save a couple of dollars or more than that, um, you need to you know, look at your seller. 
go and get credible sellers online. So some of those are, for example, this kind of medication. If the pharmacies that we are familiar with in Malaysia are selling it online mm-hmm. um, or some of these harness are being sold by our local pharmacies as one of the um, supplier online, then you see that there is certain credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, if you're going to ask me, is everything online being regulated? Um, is yes and no. Um, some of those that we sell through our local suppliers, such as the pharmacies and also some of the local Sanjian uh, Berhads and all, then yes, you, you get them regulated because they have to pass through our regulators before they can even sell in okay. Malaysia. Correct me if I was wrong, but purchasing of, or, or selling of pharmaceutical products like drugs and medicine is illegal in yes. Malaysia, right? Yes. Online, right? Online, Online is right. illegal. You can, but I mean, you can, I'm talking about you can buy things such as uh, vitamins and all that. Mm-hmm. So those things you can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that requires uh, um, prescription, obviously you can't sell it online. Mm-hmm. That's still illegal. Yeah. Um, so, but having said that, I'm, I haven't even gone into the online platform to really search for it, but uh, we may be able to see something that is kind of in a interesting as well along that line. But that's another issue is that blurring of the boundaries between what is perceived as a medical device and what is not, what is perceived as a drug and what is not, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, in my line of work, there are a lot of, um, uh, let's put it this way, erectile function devices, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. And then some of them are actually FDA approved devices, for example, vacuum pump devices, but those are widely available in, uh, you know, adult stores. Mm. And then so that is a blurring of a line between a medical device and a in air quotes, toy, really, in mm-hmm. some ways. And then also medicine, you know, what is perceived as a supplement and then what is an active component of that and what is perceived as an active drug. Mm-hmm. It's always a blurring of the, the, that boundary. Well, well, to the um, lay um, person's view, it is. But um, in our country where the regulators are regulating it, it's very clear. Mm. So what is regulated and what is not, it's in the list. It's mm. quite clear. So as long as the seller online is following the same guidelines that is under our own regulations, I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, only question is that if there are you know, some people who is not following what it is supposed to, and that's why you get into trouble. Mm. Um, another listener messaged in to say, I see physical pharmacy shops selling pinhole glasses, claiming a bunch of pseudoscience. Um, not sure what that refers to exactly, but I think the point here is we're not just talking about um, things happening online, um, a, a lot of um, perhaps questionable products uh, are being sold even in your physical store. So at the end of the day, it comes down to, um, again, buyer beware. Uh, can you leave our listeners, Eric, with uh, some thoughts mm-hmm. on how consumers can protect themselves? What kinds of questions should they be asking mm-hmm. uh, about purchasing before they click that checkout button? Sure. I think there's a... Um you need to, number one, you need to know whether the device is something that you need and it's going to help you. And, and, and if you think it's going to help you, just make sure you get it, you get your diagnosis well done by a physician telling you that this is truly what you need so that you can, treat, you can get treated or you can get well. 
So um, make sure you qualify that you need those devices yourself or with your physician. That's number one. Number two, when you are selecting the options, the thousands of options that is available out there, try to find the options that makes you read more and there's a lot of information to read. The less the information you can read does not mean that it's easy and it looks good. It may look cosmetically very nice, but it's not going to give you enough information to make decisions. So this is not buying, you know, a car or a piece of bread. This is a medical device that we will use. And to Dr. George's points earlier about the CPAP, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a small, simple device. It's to help you sleep well for the almost you know, long term. And, and you've got to really study the device if it really makes sense. If, if, if those information you can read does not make sense and it doesn't give you enough, then don't buy those equipments. You just don't know. And a lot of times online doesn't tell you whether the regular uh, the regulators has actually approved those products or not. And if you're trying to get on to those products, then you're on risk. Mm-hmm. So um, to, the, to George's earlier point, you know, it can cause harm. It's, just that it's not about just waiting that, wasting the money or buying a device that doesn't work, but it can cause you harm. So you've got to know about those things. And more importantly is that when you're trying to care for yourself at home, uh, and you're diagnosing yourself or you're treating yourself, you've got to know every other circumstances that can happen with the device. The device, every medical device, even if it is an approved medical device in the country, um, you've got to think about maintenance. It's like buying your car. You've got to think about everything that you need at home um, um, to make sure that the device is consistently providing you with the service that you need. So what about maintenance? So if you're buying something from China or from India or from anywhere else, where are you going to get the maintenance? Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't have maintenance, your device are not going to be consistent. So are you going to be treating yourself properly or not? So these are all those considerations that I urge that people would think more before you really jump into, okay, I'm just going to get this. It's just easily available. Mm. Yeah. Final thoughts, George? Well, whatever I use, I mean, I'm just going to, you know, hold someone accountable. So on that basis, I don't mind paying more as long as I know that at the end of the day, someone else needs to be a bit accountable if any harm is done to me. So on that basis, I'm only going for somebody who's actually physically guaranteeing me. Mm. This is something that is certified and also, uh, you know, there's accountability and and. I only then will purchase this product. I mean, I would also beg healthcare professionals because I think you have the opportunity to interact with patients. Mm-hmm. In the case of a GP telling somebody you have apnea and you need a CPAP machine, don't just leave it at that, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> you need to guide your patient. Yeah, or at least refer to the appropriate specialist, uh, specialist yeah. so that the subsequent care can be carried on. Right? Yes. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, Eric and my co-host, Dr. George Lee. We've been speaking to Eric Wu, Regional Director of ACRI Asia Pacific, and this has been Health and Living BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.